most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Well, welcome to another episode of Keeping Up With The Joneses, though this week you're only keeping up with one of them. Because the other one, the one who's not interrupting me with Yoda impersonations, is currently in bed recovering from surgery she unexpectedly had this week. A, a story we'll no doubt tell next week when she's all better. But fear not, because we have a fantastic episode for you. And the Canadian quota is still strong, even though AJ's not here, our special guest, who I'll introduce in a second, is Canadian, so all is okay in the universe. Now, normally at this point in the podcast, we update you on our week, but honestly, our week pretty much got hijacked when I had to take AJ to ER at midnight on Tuesday because she was in agony. But again, I don't want to tell that story until she's here, so how about some follow-up from last week? If you haven't listened to last week's episode, here it is in a nutshell. We we tiptoed into the waters of the U.S. election, hot on the heels of Donald Trump being elected as the next president of the United States. We thought we would share some thoughts. Again, I'm not sure how wise that was. Um, based on the fallout of what we were seeing from friends, from family, just from the general public on social media, and so we shared for nearly an hour, and we did our best to make our thinking visible. And we asked for feedback. And I really want to thank all of you who wrote in. It it was great to just read what you thought. On the whole, it sounds like you were really encouraged by our thoughts. There are a few things I'd like to clarify, though. Our, Our good friend Gary Morgan from Australia called on Monday afternoon and gave me some great feedback. Now, at this point, I want to push pause and give you some context for who Gary is, in case you don't know him. Gary and his wife, Sarah, are two of our best friends. We've known them for years. And the four of us have a long and rich history together. We've been through thick and thin together. We're people who are in each other's lives despite living on the other side of the world. And speaking for AJ and I, we take their counsel seriously. Their words are big in our ears, so to speak. And in addition to that, we're tremendous fans of them uh, and their ministry. They're, They're leaders of a great church in Melbourne, Australia, They've ministered at Grace Center many times. If you don't know them, if you don't know who I'm speaking about when I say Gary and Sarah Morgan, do yourself a favor, listen to their podcast that we did with them a while back. It's episode 90, so just go to alanandaj.com slash 90 to listen to it. You'll really be blessed. All right. With that context out of the way, let me give you another piece of context. Normally, when AJ and I record a podcast, before we get on air, We write down a few sentences. We try and keep this as spontaneous as possible, but we do put down a couple of sentences here and there, some jumping off points to talk about, that sort of thing. Last week, I just checked, we wrote down 2,000 words of talking points. Seriously, on, on a topic that large, that volatile, we wanted to shove down a ton of points and meander through them. And there's, we knew there was no way we'd get through everything. We wouldn't cover everything. Uh, otherwise, we, we, you know, the podcast would have been way longer than the, the 50 minutes it almost was. We also record our podcast on Sunday nights. It's literally the last thing we do in the week. We put our kids to bed and then we record a podcast usually about 8 or 9 p.m. at night. And then I edit it into the wee hours of Monday morning to get it ready for you guys Monday morning. That gives you some other context, which I'll come back to in a second. So anyway, Gary calls on Monday and and he says, bro, I listened to your podcast on the election. I've got some thoughts for you. Would you be willing to hear them? I'm like, dude, of, of course. So he said, I thought you did a really good job of representing your thought pattern 
regarding your confusion about how evangelical and charismatic leaders could possibly support Trump. I thought you did a great job on that. I thought you did a good job of talking about the fallout of that and why people on both sides, you know, Trump and Clinton supporters were feeling so confused about the results of the election. But I feel like you didn't do a good job of actually representing how Christians who do support Trump have reconciled that gap. And and I feel like without saying my name, you misrepresented my views. Now, understand here, I'm obviously paraphrasing Gary's sentiments, but I, I have checked with him to make sure I'm not misrepresenting the gist of what he said. And th- that's as good a summary as we need for what I need to say next. So again, let's, let's pause. What is he referencing here? So backtrack a little. A few days before the election happened, Gary posted to Facebook and Twitter and said this, I'm going to say it, vote Trump. And then he had a couple of hashtags, hashtag my conviction, hashtag I've seen the future, hashtag America's time, and hashtag Cyrus Rising. Now, I'll be honest, when I saw Gary's tweet and Facebook post, my first thought was that he'd been hacked. Honestly, it was so, you know, I was still in the stage of just rolling my eyes and shaking my head that people uh, like like Gary were, were tweeting things like that. Now, Gary and I had not had a conversation about the election. Maybe we had, but certainly nothing as strong as that had come out. So I was really shocked to see Gary post that. And and I, I reached out to him via text. I was like, dude, some crazy person is using your name and misrepresenting you on social media, which led to a phone call, uh, I think later that day, where we talked. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Well, if you remember the podcast last week, I I talked about my grave concern at charismatic and evangelical leaders posting about Donald Trump and not actually explaining their thought, just using these sound bites, which were hugely inflammatory. Now, Gary, of course, as I've just told you, was one of those charismatic and evangelical leaders. And while I didn't name him, there's a sense that people could have come to the conclusion that I was throwing Gary under the bus or I was using my very public podcast to very publicly rebuke him. Now, what, well, first of all, that was never, ever my intent at all. And I've already apologized to Gary in person, and I can absolutely see how people would come to that conclusion. And to further complicate this thing, Gary and I have a lot of the same followers. So a lot of the people who'd follow Gary on Instagram and Facebook would listen to this podcast and would follow me on um, Twitter and Instagram, etc. And so there was a danger that uh, people could think, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm throwing Gary under the bus or I'm just slapping him from the other side of the world. Now, what nobody but Gary and I would have known is that we'd already talked before we'd ever recorded the podcast. I called him uh, really as soon as I saw that tweet and said, dude, I think that was probably unwise to have posted that. Like, I'm not sure if you're aware of the political culture, of the the culture that's going on, but I think that probably, not that it misrepresented your views, but that one little soundbite doesn't actually represent your heart. And while we're on that topic, can you explain to me how you've reconciled the obvious struggles that I've come to? And, and really helpfully, Gary shared with me some really pertinent revelation about why he felt like uh, supporting Trump was a good idea. And more than that, just as a prophet, why he was feeling like this is what the Lord is up to in this season. And, and 
here's the bit I'm really bummed about. Now, I'm bummed that it looked like I misrepresented my friend and, and dishonored him in public. I'm really bummed about that. But the sad part for me, for Gary, for everybody else was the revelation that he shared when we had a phone call was really helpful in bridging the gap. And it was one of the things I'd written in my 2,000 words of, of show prep. And we just never got to it. So in leaving that out, well, forget that. In not referencing Gary by name, in not addressing the conversation, and not even talking about the helpful revelation I've had, I realize it really did look like I was slapping him publicly, something I would never, ever do. But I think what grieved me most is just for Gary personally, we had already talked privately, and I didn't actually fully represent him well. I did expose in general terms, hey, I don't like it when Christian leaders do this, but I didn't bridge the gap and I didn't bring the other stuff that Gary shared with me, which actually put my heart at ease about a number of things. So Gary and I have talked uh, a number of times this week, and the more he shared his perspective, the more I wish people could hear that rather than just the soundbite of, you know, Cyrus rising, you know, God has chosen Trump, etc., etc. So who knows, maybe we can have Gary come on the podcast and we can talk about this thing in a bit more detail, because actually I think it would really, really, in the same way that helped me, I think it would really help our listeners to hear from his perspective, just from a prophetic perspective, from his wisdom perspective. The slight complication is his wife's about to give birth to their second baby, and my wife is in bed recovering from surgery. But uh, let's hope we can get that on the books, because I think that would be really, really helpful. In the meantime, however, I wanted to sincerely apologize to Gary and my listeners. I did not have Gary in mind when talking last week, and I'm really sorry if it sounded like I was slapping Gary with a public rebuke. I can totally see how one might arrive at that conclusion, but that would never be my heart, and I wanted to step in and clarify that. One other thing that Gary shared with me that, on reflection, I I agree with, and I really appreciate him bringing this to my attention. Uh, He said this, Al, at one point, you sounded contemptuous, and that's not who I know you to be. So, I re-listened to the podcast, and sadly, I think he was right. I I was teaching this week on the School Supernatural Life. I was talking about communication. I was talking about conflict. And I was teaching the students how I confront. Actually, one of the things that Gary and I went through in our our phone call. At one point in our phone call, I was like, Gary, dude, I wish we were recording this phone call because I think it would be so helpful for people to hear how friends, how leaders can talk through issues with love, with power, with confrontation, but we didn't record it. So maybe we can recreate that conversation if and when I can get them on the show again. But anyway, I was teaching this and I was teaching them some verses that have long been dear to me. Um, This is 2 Timothy 2.24. It says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And then Philippians 4 verse 5 says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. In light of those verses and Gary's input, I wanted to apologize again. I want to be known more for my gentleness than for my forthrightness. And it wasn't my heart to be quarrelsome, but I think at times I came across like that. So to my friend Gary, sorry, dude, for misrepresenting you. I know I've already apologized to you privately, but I I feel like I want to apologize to you publicly too. To my listeners who also follow Gary, sorry if I caused you undue trauma. Gary and I are really, really good 
And lastly, I want to apologize for not being as gentle as I wanted to be in hindsight. And for any contempt I had in my voice, I would love to try and get the mighty Welsh eagle on the podcast to share his perspectives, and hopefully we can make that happen. But in the meantime, let's talk about something else that's awesome. Mr. Steve Long, how the heck are you? I am generally doing excellent. Just finished six weeks of doing nothing. Almost nothing. Is that a poor character, or is this walking in the light? This was uh, a week's missions in Mozambique, which was easy. <laughs> then a week at pastor's events in England, which was easy. Then three weeks of cruising, which was easy. And then a week sick in bed with a viral infection, which was easy. I think your version of doing nothing and my version of doing nothing are two completely different <laughs> things. Like, you say Mozambique, and I don't hear doing nothing. Well, this year was actually the least we've been busy whenever we've been there. How many times have you been to Mozambique? Six, six. Six or seven times. And this is with Heidi and Roland? With Heidi and Roland, yeah. It's less busy when Heidi and Roland are not there. Of course. So she was supposed to be there on the Tuesday. We arrived on a, on a Monday. She's supposed to arrive on the Tuesday. Turned out she arrived on the Saturday as we were getting on the very same plane going out that she got in. So we didn't see her there, but she'd been at our church the previous week. So we were cool. Uh, were you speaking at the Harvest School or were you out nope. doing missions? The stuff? Harvest School has was relocated. They've had some visa issues getting their students to stay in Mozambique for the length of their school. So right. they were in South Africa. Right. So we were asked to shift and go to South Africa again, which we did two years ago. And we just declined and said, you know, all our team really want to go to Pemba. They want to be with the kids. They want to just do all that kind of stuff. So, Did you happen to get to go to Shweba, the village that Grayson are adopted? I, it's the closest village to the Pemba base. Sandra and I didn't go on the outreach. Okay. We let our team go there. Um, one of the reasons we let our team go without us is because people will default to us. Ah. So it forces them that they're doing the stuff, which was cool. And we then go to the Pema Beach Hotel, which is a four-star hotel. So literally, you did do nothing. That's, yeah. It's all becoming yeah. clear. You've paid your dues, though. You've so we, we took their missionaries out for dinner and prayed with them and ministered to them. So that was primarily what our team did this right. time, is ministering to their, Leaders. their team. Yeah, wow. great. There's a chance that some people, some poor people, might not know who you are. So by way of introduction... I'm going to tell them what I know about you and you're going to fix up. Because it feels like every time I see you, your job has changed somewhat. So I've known Steve since 2003 when I came. I mean, I knew of you. We didn't get to know each other until a couple of years later. But I came to the school in Toronto. When I arrived, you were the senior associate pastor mm -hmm. of the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. Previously, the Toronto Airport Vineyard currently catch the fire toronto that's correct and you were a baptist pastor maybe you maybe you still are a baptist pastor in disguise were. no you you were a baptist pastor i'm not baptistic anymore <laughs> according to the baptist uh bylaws and, bylaws and all that kind right. of stuff yeah but you maybe we'll get you to tell the story but you were you were a baptist pastor that when the revival started in the church that we're both from now in toronto your current church your current baptist church paid your salary to go and be a pastor at this church because they needed help. For five months. Which is amazing. Yeah. And we'll get you to tell some stories. So you, for the last, for as long as I've known you, have been part of the senior team, part of the executive team for not just the church in Toronto, but the global movement of Catch the Fire. Mm -hmm. So you have spent a long season of your life ministering not only to Toronto, but all over the world. 
That's correct. And uh, you, I, I've asked you to speak about healing, and I, I want to talk to you a little bit about healing. When I teach on healing, I always introduce it by saying, I learned everything I know about healing from three people, John and Carol Arnott and Steve Long. So you would be the person that would have helped my left brain put theology to what I would have seen John and Carol, and of course yourself do. You've got to be one of the finest teachers in physical healing I know, in terms of removing the mystery and just going straight to the gospel, straight to the scripture and explaining it. And so we have you yeah. in every year to teach on our school, School of Supernatural Life. Love the doing that. Love it. And yeah, I learned from four people, John and Carol. So that's mutual. <laughs> uh, and a Canadian by the name of Bill Prankard. Yep. Who's a Pentecostal uh, gentleman and a great storyteller. He's that's his his best right. thing is the just. In, creating an atmosphere where people are expecting the miraculous to take place. Right. And then a very left brain gentleman from Texas by the name of Roger Sapp, S-A-P-P. Roger's not a big name kind of guy, but he just has figured out the theology of how Jesus healed the sick and was one of the gentlemen that really helped me, heard him speak live many times, listened to his stuff, read his books on healing. Very, very helpful. Wow. The little prayer that I use, my healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. I receive my healing now. That's Rogers. I thought it was Sam Larby's. Sam stole it from me. No. Yes. So I stole we, it from Sam. So, so chapter one of Sam's book is about me. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever I teach on healing, I usually start. Uh, what I learned from John is, John told me, he said, Alan, the more you teach on healing, the less people will get healed. The more you heal people, people will get healed. And then explain why it happens later. Like just start by healing and then give the theology. He said, because most people in church have already got a theology of why it won't work. Mm -hmm. So if you can break that by demonstrating. Yep. I want to tell some stories about you before you tell some stories. Okay. So one of the very first times I ever saw you in action was at your friend Kevin Pete's church in Glasgow, Glasgow mm -hmm. Elam. It's now pastored by uh, some other amazing pastors. And I lived in Edinburgh at the time. You and I had not yet met. I hadn't moved to Toronto. And I'd heard that somebody from Toronto was in town. So I drove over. And your opening line was, my name's Steve. It's great to be with you tonight. Um... We're going we're gonna to teach on healing. But before we teach on healing, why don't we heal the sickest person in the room? And then everything else should be easy after that. So can we have a volunteer? Who's the sickest person in the room? And I'm thinking, good Lord, who is this guy? <laughs> I hope this works. And we all readily agreed that it was the person in the wheelchair who was the sickest person in the room. I remember that. And so then you said, if I pray for her, you're all going to think it was me that healed her. So why don't we find, who's never healed anybody before? And so these two ladies eagerly volunteer, and they were like, you've never healed anybody before? You're like, no. So you're like, well, and this was, this was the sum total of your teaching. Jesus said that you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So we've got somebody sick. We've got some people to lay hands on. Now, place your hands on this lady. Just check if it's okay. And then the two women who said that they're going to pray for it, they start shaking. And you said, Wow. Doesn't that look odd? I don't remember that part. <laughs> so they start shaking, they start manifesting, and you said, wow, doesn't that look odd? Why don't we ask the lady 
what she's feeling. Let's ignore these people for a second. So you said, ma'am, how are you feeling now? And she gave this test. This is the lady in the wheelchair. This is the lady in the wheelchair. Okay, yeah, going. I do remember that. I don't, I don't remember the other, the other two ladies then weren't, weren't the shakers you're saying. They, no, they were manifesting, okay. yes. So they uh, were doing something weird and you, by way of calming everybody, because we're all on the edge of our seats, like what is going on? Long story short, the woman gets healed and then you go on to teach and we all pray for everybody. And I was like, I have literally never, ever seen anybody with that level of faith. Cold, open, let's heal the sickest person in the room. I do that only a few times. I, I would really have to hear the Holy Spirit say, do that. And the, the way that I know that I'm supposed to do that is I hear the words, uh, do, show, and tell. So if I hear do, show, and tell, that's what we do. When I say we, I'm referring to the Holy Spirit doing it and me coming along for the ride. My second favorite story was you were teaching a deliverance workshop at one of the conferences. And I, I came along to just, you know, I'm always wanting to learn more. And so it's a 2, 2 p.m. session at a conference. We're all, you know, in the upper rooms and you're teaching on deliverance. And then you say quite calmly, okay, now that I've taught you on deliverance, let's do practice. Let's get in groups of twos and threes and we're going to cast out demons out of each other. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my little brethren brain just exploded like, wait, that, that's... Okay, I guess that's what we're doing. We're making an assumption that Christians will have demons. <laughs> well, but th- th- my point is you've got such an amazing ability, Steve, to very, very clearly do, in many ways, nothing more than what the Gospels are teaching us to do, but make that not threatening. And uh, when people do that, they have tremendous results. So, folks, if you have not heard Steve Long, there are some stories that introduce you to the kind of person that we're going to be talking about today. Let's go back to the beginning. You were a Baptist pastor. Mm-hmm. Were, were you a cessationist? Did you yeah. believe, So you firmly resolved that God no longer healed. Well, I wouldn't say firmly resolved, but that's the tradition that I was raised in. The Bible school that I went to, that's what they taught. And so I just sort of assumed that that's the correct theology. Right. And we did not see people healed at our church. Now, the fact that we never prayed for them... <laughs> sort of never was brought into the into the equation. But the fact that nobody was healed, it's sort of like, well... Reinforced what yeah, you already knew. Yeah, just reinforced. It's circular thinking. So we don't pray the sick because the sick don't get healed, which they didn't get healed. They died. Exactly. Proves our great theology. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've drawn that correlation that most people with a great theology that God doesn't heal today don't see anybody healed. And usually they're the people that oppose the theology of mm-hmm. the people who are seeing people get healed. That goes way, way back. And I cannot remember his name. If I'd uh, known we we're going to talk about this, I would have done the research. But it goes back to the first great awakening in America when you had Jonathan Edwards. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the president of Yale University. Oh, wow. And both of them had godly wives. Both of them, the wives are sick. And Jonathan Edwards' wife recovered miraculously. And so Jonathan Edwards teaches that signs and wonders and miracles are for today. The other gentleman's wife passes away. She dies. And so he's trying to figure out why. And the best that he can come up with is God doesn't heal the sick anymore. Wow. And so he based, he was one of the first people to teach cessational. I tell the story, it's in uh, the Healing Belongs to Me book. Okay. Uh, So we can maybe find that afterwards. But His theology is based on a negative experience, and Jonathan Edwards' theology is based on a positive experience. I think it was you that taught me this line, that uh, a healthy dose of experience does wonders for your theology. I don't know if I said that in that words, but 
when you experience things, it forces your theology to adapt. Right. And if your theology is an incorrect theology that doesn't line up with the scriptures, it's uh, that's hard because if you've been taught that something is right, it's right, it's right, it's right, and now you're having experiences that are different, the question is, are your experiences wrong or was your theology wrong? Right. So talk to me about how you switch from being a Baptist cessationist. I, I mean, I'm imagining this happened in 1994 with the outpouring. But 93 before. Okay. So before that happened. Talk to me about what Not, happened. Probably 92 and 93. Um, in the early 90s, our Baptist church began to do uh, Willow Creek from Chicago, Bill Hybels style church, yep. seeker focused. We were the first church in our denomination to do that. Got all sorts of flack from people not knowing what we were doing and right. how why we were doing it. First church to have a band, first church to wear jeans and a t-shirt for the pastors and that kind of stuff. Uh, there was two other churches in the greater Toronto area also doing that. One that started the same time as us and one that had been going about a year prior. So the three of us would meet, the three leadership teams would meet regularly We'd trade dramas. We'd talk about which sermon series are working. We just talk how we do this. Right. And the church in Newmarket, which was ahead of us, was doing the best. Everyone agreed, you know, they they got it figured out. But a Pentecostal church in Mississauga was seeing more people in their meetings. They were growing quicker than we were, despite their band not being as good, their actors not being as good, their service flow not being as good, their logistics not being as good, but they're growing better than we were. Right. And so one of those meetings, we just said like, what guys, what are you doing? Like, how, how's this happening? And they were a little sneaky, not sneaky, but they were just sort of little, um, ah, you don't really want to ask that question. <laughs> and it's like, no, we do. And it's like, well, you're not going to be happy with the answer. So don't ask. And it's like, no, tell us. And they said, well, you guys don't have the Holy Spirit. Boom. And it was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, when you pray for people afterwards for drug addictions and alcohol and marriages to be restored, you've got no oomph. And it's, what do you mean we have no oomph? And we had this very, it was a shock to us that maybe we were missing something. And right about that time, one of the Baptist churches in our in our denomination began to have massive success in healing and deliverance. And it was like, oh my goodness, like they're doing things a little different too. Wow. And it turned out that they were charismatic. So that sort of opened the box up to us of, well, let's take a look at this again. So that was your first exposure to things of the spirit in that, in that realm? I would say it was my first exposure in the practical side of it. Right. Um, I'd read books and on why things don't happen and all that kind of stuff. So do you have any standout, memories of seeing the Holy Spirit move that stumped your intellect? Yeah, the first big healing that we had at our Baptist church was one of our deacons. Uh, Walter was his name, and he was 35. I would have been 35 as well, good friend. He was scheduled for back surgery, and he asked us as pastors if we would pray the James 5 prayer of healing over him. Well, we never had done that. And so we decided we'll do it at the Sunday night meeting, which is a young adult focus meeting. And we didn't know how to do it. We saw that you're supposed to put oil on the guy. So we put oil, but we didn't know how much. So we just put on a whole bottle kind of thing and just drenched them. We didn't know to say, how are you? And check yourself. We just prayed that he would be healed. He'd be restored. The next day, he didn't have his surgery. He went into the 
uh, surgeon's office, I guess, in the prep room. And someone dropped a piece of paper. Walter bent over, picked it up and give it to the guy. And the guy goes, what did you just do? And it was like his back had been healed. Wow. So that caused lots of excitement in our Baptist church. And then people started lining up and saying, well, I've got this problem and I've got this problem. And so Sunday nights became a fun experimenting without the deacons of our church knowing other than Walter, because they didn't come to the evening meeting. That's sort of the, the, the guards, the rear guard who would have been very opposed to those kind of things. And then it began when it began to be very, uh, start getting into the morning service where people are sharing stories and testimonies that I just got healed last Sunday night. Uh, all of a sudden like this now became an issue. We had to talk it through and it was a little contentious for a while of people. Well, yes, healings in the Bible, but that's not how the Baptists do it. Right. So we came up against that. And I would think for me, there was two little theological things that, the, the Lord highlighted, and one of them was the scripture verse in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Right. So I've been taught that God stopped speaking, and it was like, well, how does that relate to that verse? And then the other one is in Hebrews, where it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if Jesus doesn't change, how does dispensational theology, cessationism, how do all those things work? Right. And John Arnott, very was very very helpful for me of just putting those ones together when i started to get to know john wow so you began to see stuff which then challenged your thinking and then you you know the scriptures become a not a stumbling block at all but you're like well hang on wait a minute it's so easy to skim over the stuff that doesn't apply to you in scripture isn't it yeah so for example we had verses like jesus says the greater things you'll be able to do right so we ha- would have no, uh, in our Baptist church, we would not see that as greater miracles, right? which it seems like really is what Jesus is talking about, greater activities, greater, uh, greater miracles, greater healings. And so we would just say, well, he was being very um, evangelistic. Enthusiastic. He, enthusiastic. <laughs> He's over the top. And now I look at that and it's like, no, 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 he meant that. Right. In he only had three years to do ministry, so Steve Long's going to have 30, 50 years to do ministry. Right. So I do have the opportunity of doing greater miracles. So talk to me about what happened when you began to see the Holy Spirit oomphs, especially in light of the revival that happened. What I mean, I, I tell me the story about when you first came to the church and Randy was ministering and some of the miracles that you saw and, and what, what sort of paradigm shifts did that do for you? Yeah, that was clearly a big one. The, if I can just back up in ninety May of 93, maybe March of 93, there was a prophetic conference at the airport church, and Mark DuPont and Mark Verkler were the two guest speakers. Right. And Mark did an afternoon seminar on hearing God's voice, and I took that seminar, and that's when I began to believe that God spoke. I wow. began to do journaling, and as I was journaling, all sorts of questions began to be answered that I... I felt good with. So John Arnott knows me. I've already been asked by John in May 93 to join the staff. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. And so this is before the revival. Nothing big's happening. Just he'd heard that I was a good organizer. I'd had a prophetic word. I wouldn't say prophetic word. I'd had a journaling word right. that I was to assist John. Wow. So I went to talk to him and he was sort of put me off until I accidentally quoted his prayer. 
And he and Carol had been praying every morning, send us someone to help us accomplish our vision. And in the end of my breakfast meeting where I'm taking John out to say, I feel the Lord told me to, I'm supposed to work for you. And he didn't get it. He didn't really understand what I was saying. And so to try to clarify, I said, well, John, here's the bottom line is I'm supposed to help you accomplish your vision. So he went home and told Carol, I think I know who that guy is. Wow. The problem was that there's no salary. Right. Small thing. <laughs> small thing. And you don't have a wife or kids to raise. So, so. when, yes, because I had two kids and, <laughs> and a wife and Sandra, when we found out that we were offered a job, the job was quit your Baptist church. That pays. That pays good. This was 93. I was making 40,000. Wow. Which was a good salary with the Baptists. So when the revival began with Randy Clark that weekend in January 94, John phoned us on the Monday morning to say, Randy's been held over one more night. You need to get here. And so Sandra and I went that night along with John and Ann Friel, who were the Baptist pastors we were working with, who were going on the very same journey as we were. And my brother Richard uh, and his wife, Terry. And Richard was a year in advance of us. He'd gone to a John Wimber conference uh, in 93 and came back speaking in tongues. Ooh. which was anathema right. in the Baptist church. Sure. He, he was supposed to quit, except his Baptist church wanted him to speak in tongues, sent him to the conference, hoping and praying that he'd have an experience. Right. When Randy finished preaching, it was, it was a, my recollection was it was distracting from the very beginning. Uh, do people know Peter Jackson? No. Okay. Peter is a guy who's basically been drunk in the Holy Spirit for the last 20 years. Plus right. giggles all the time, trying to figure out why is he giggling? Right. And it's like he's got his own jokes that he's playing through his own brain right. somehow. And he was and sitting, he's not quiet. He's not quiet. Yeah. And he's just, he's a fun-loving guy. He's nice. He's kind. He's very anointed, teaches on the Father's love, helps people with shame issues and rejection issues. Marvelous ministry. But I didn't know who he was. And he's sitting in the front row with his wife, and they're both drunk and right. falling off their chair before the band started. Right. So it's just like, how does John Arnett get these basket cases in his church? Right. And why is he letting them sit in the front and, row? Yes. And why is this allowed? Why is the usher not doing anything? All that kind of stuff. Right. And it's not just them and other people that are watching them and laughing at them and pointing at them and all these different kind of things. So we just had no grid for that. I knew vineyard style worship and it was wonderful. Loved the the, the presence. Uh, so that wasn't the problem. But all the way through the worship, people are manifesting and falling down and shaking and all that kind of stuff. And then John and Carol provoked it after the worship. There'd be, Peter, come on up, tell everyone what's going on. And he can't talk and he's fallen over. And and so this would happen night after night. But that particular night, Randy gave a give the very same talk that he did on the Thursday night because he'd only brought three talks. <laughs> <laughs> he was supposed to have been home by then. So he gave the, apparently the very same talk and the same invitation, which was if, if you're dry and need Jesus up to the front, well, that's me. If you are uh, wanting more of the Holy Spirit up to the front, you're full of the Holy Spirit and want more, well, okay, that's not me. Right. And you need to get born again up to the front. That's not me. Right. So I didn't go. Sat in the back row, and John Friel's wife, Anne, went to the front row. And she stood in a corner and starts sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. No one's praying for her yet, just sobbing. And half an hour, you know, about 10 minutes in, John 
her husband goes up to the front, are you okay? And she's crying too much to tell him what's going on. So it sends him back to his seat. And so we're watching this, we're watching everyone else. Uh, it's a little bit of a show. It's, it's fun. It's awkward. It's all those kind of things all at once. And it's totally new. This is totally, totally new. new. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just, we have no grid for this kind of stuff. And then sort of turns around, she's composed herself and she starts to walk back and there's maybe 10 rows in that old building, Alan. I never saw. Okay. The, I'm going to say it was wider than it was deeper. Right. So maybe 10 rows. And by, by the time she gets from the corner to our row, walking 10 rows. So let's say it's 30 feet. She's in hysterics, laughing hysterics, like cannot control herself. Just it's gone from crying to laughing over the top laughing. And she sits in our row and everyone's like, what happened? What was going on? And she's, she can't talk. She's every time we ask the question, what, what was happening? She's just laughs more. So we're dealing with that now. So Anne has joined them. <laughs> uh, then the prayer team start to do some malicious behavior, which is that they stopped praying for all the people in the front and started praying for people in the seats. Wow. So we got nobody's safe. Nobody's safe, but we're in the back row. So we got maybe two or three minutes. We decide time to go. So we're putting our coats on because it's Canada, January, and Randy sees us. So when Randy sees us putting our coats on, he stopped what he was doing and ran to the back and said, can I pray for you? And it was very awkward because nobody wants to be prayed for. Right. Like we've seen enough. We've, yeah. This is weird. This is not us. Right. This is, love John and Carol. Love the Holy Spirit. No, no, we don't love the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) The Holy Spirit is. We love our version of the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Holy Spirit has been a gentleman up until this time. Right. And this, this version of the Holy Spirit, we're not sure about. Right. So as, as Randy says, who can I pray for first? Uh, Anne thinks this is still very, very funny. So she's still laughing. We all agreed that Richard and Terry should be the ones to be prayed for first because they already speak in tongues. Exactly. So this is my brother. He's 18 years younger than me. Up until I was married, we had shared a bedroom almost all of our life, Bible school included. And he is on the floor shaking in seconds. And so this is, oh my goodness. Because you know him. You know he's Never not seen faking. This. Never seen this. Right. His wife, Terry, it was like, if anyone was going to manifest it, it'd be her. And she did. And it was like, okay. That one doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yes. Right. And then John Friel's prayed for, and he falls down. And John and I had been working together. He's the senior pastor. I was the associate pastor at the Baptist church for five years, prayed every day. This has never happened. So that's a little, and and still laughing at everything. Then it's Sandra and I left and he's, so it's okay. We take our coats off. We stand there. And Alan, I knew that if I put my hands out, what, like everyone else was doing, palms up, that this is going to be a life-changing experience. I just knew that. It seemed like it was a long pondering, but I, I think it was just a second. Right. But it's like... My life's going to be different. You had enough wherewithal to yep. know that you were on the precipice yep. of something incredible. Something's going to be, I'm either going to be kicked out of my denomination because I'm going to start manifesting or something like that. Uh, you might even speak in tongues. I'm, yes. And that would get me kicked out. So we did that and I closed my eyes and Randy probably within three seconds stops his prayer and he talks to my wife. He says, what's the problem? Now, that is a problem because I don't know that there's a problem. Right. <laughs> so when he says, what's the problem? Sandra says, I don't want to fall down. 
So that says to me, she's on the verge of falling down. Oh my goodness, it's happening to my wife. Right. And he says, I'm not touching you. And it's like, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> so what's going on? And he says, we're just going to pray. And I don't remember what he said, but I heard my knees telling me, you got five seconds. And then I heard my knees, we're not, we're not kidding. <laughs> I'm on the ground. And I'd never been on the ground in my life as a result of being prayed for. I felt the peace of God. I come to know that that's what it was now. But right. at that point, I just didn't know. And it was one of the most amazing experiences. Hear everything that's going on, all the conversations, and just chose to be there because it was so life-giving. So you're now on the floor. Yep. You can feel the peace of God. Yeah. Look to my right, there's Sandra. She's out with it too. Look to my left, there's my brother shaking. <laughs> and some of your senior pastors on the floor too. And, and still laughing at all of us. And so what do you think? Like cognitively, what are you thinking? I just know, knew that it was different. I didn't know that it was a unique touch of God. I didn't know that until the next morning. So I can't remember all that we discussed, but I do remember when I woke up the next morning, I wanted to read my Bible. That had not been a thought that I'd had in 10 years. Wow. Was only reading the Bible for sermon prep. Right. Never for pleasure, never for just getting to know God. Relationship, right. no. Nope. Um, didn't like praying. Like I prayed, but I didn't like it. it didn't, I didn't flow. There was no sort of enjoyment. There was no it was something you did. connect. It did, yeah. it, it's duty. I read the whole book of Acts and I found passages that I'd never seen before. I saw stories that I hadn't, didn't know were there. Wow. Like they, they obviously had been there, but I just hadn't seen them before. And now everything's making sense. All the Holy Spirit stuff is making sense. And it's like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. But then it went from Canada to the nations. Mm -hmm. Britain first, Europe, and then America. Yeah, so within, probably within three weeks, by the end of January, the venue's too small. The auditorium sat 300, 320, had an overflow where kids were on Sundays that was maybe 250, 300, put a video screen in there. So you're separated by eight feet of concrete. And both of those venues are full. And people just coming from all these evangelical places, evangelical churches. And then as time went on, we rented banquet halls and hotel rooms and larger venues. And so eventually we went into the venue where we are now, which at that time could seat 5,000. Here was my report when I came. My report, you know, I called my parents who were very concerned about where I was. And I said, every time I go to service, I see two things happen. I see people give their lives to Jesus and I see people get physically healed. Something I'd never seen on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. Literally every meeting I went to. And obviously you were there from pretty much day one. I got there way later. <laughs> I got there in 2003. I missed a lot of it. Tell me some standout healings, miracles, or just crazy God stories from the years that you've... Yeah, we we should have been more proactive of just really journaling these things and writing them down and having someone keep track because there was s- sensational miracles and healings that were taking place. So a couple of things that I remember. In the overflow room, it was concrete floor, It was just basically a warehouse that we put a rug down and had kids' church in there. And people would be, we put red masking tape on the ground, and so people are standing in lines, and you had to have a a catcher, otherwise it's a hard fall. Right. And so they're catching, having a catcher to catch people if they were falling or shaking. And in 94, the manifestations 
I'm going to just say we're at a higher level, more intense. So there was more people laughing than there is now, more people falling on the ground than there is now, more shaking than there is now. It was just almost everybody's manifesting something. Probably nine out of 10 people are on the ground violently experiencing God, violently good experiencing God. And apparently, uh, I don't remember this lady uh, being prayed for or who prayed for her, but she was probably in her 60s, tiny little lady, and a dis- uh, disfigured jaw. Her jaw's a little offset, so her face is a little slanted. And she's been prayed for. She's on the ground. And the guy beside her is a WWE wrestler. No. Huge. He's not an actual wrestler, but he's that body size. He's a huge, he's four times bigger than this little lady. And the catcher can't catch him because he's shaking as he's falling. And he goes sideways and lands on this lady, does a body slam. He's unaware that he's on anyone. He's out. And that's the, that's what you hear (gasps) from the the prayer team who are on that line. And everyone's running because they see what's happened. Small lady. Small lady. I was, I was maybe two rows behind if I remember right. So I didn't see the lady, but that's what everyone told me. She's got this disfigured uh, face and this big guy falls. So I, when I hear it, here's a guy that is being rolled off a lady and it's like lawsuit. Why didn't it happen? And her eyes are bugged out. She's, like in shock, like a 300 pound guy's just plopped on top of her. Right. Doesn't know that <laughs> she's a hundred pounds. And anyways, her jaw was healed by the Lord with that guy fell on her. And I was like, okay, no problems. That's an unusual prayer ministry approach. <laughs> Stand here. Like, this guy's going to fall on you. <laughs> uh, those kind of things were like, well, you can't script that. Right. There's another one. I have a friend. He had to choose the name, go by his middle name, which is Mark Edwards, because anytime ever anyone ever said Jonathan Edwards, he'd just go crazy manifesting. So he can't even be called by his own name. So they <laughs> have to call him Mark. And he and Trevor Baker had nightly meetings at their little church in the middle of England, in the middle of nowhere. And his first time in Toronto, he is on the ground and he's just having a quiet time. Meanwhile, three or four rows away is a guy with cowboy boots who's shaking violently. And apparently one of his cowboy boots is shaken off of his foot, goes flying through the air and lands beside Mark. Doesn't hit him, just lands beside him. And as soon as it lands beside Mark, he starts shaking. And he has, he would say, his impartation of anointing for revival from cowboy boots landing beside him from a guy two or three rows away. And it's like, like you say, you can't make this stuff up. It, it's you can't like, script it. No, we had all sorts of Japanese that came over in, in a group and they're, they're not happy. They're, this is not normal. This is not polite. This is not uh, whatever they're expecting until they started getting prayed for <laughs> and they lost it. They just became kids and one guy I remember was somehow he's throwing snowballs, imaginary Holy Spirit snowballs at people. And he just roll his hands like he's rolling a snowball and throw it at, at a friend and it would hit him and the guy would be knocked over. 
like on the ground. And others would be going, what? And they started doing it. And we had a snowball fight in our building. People who are unaware of what this is, what's going on, not participating with the Japanese people over on the side. And they're getting hit. Like people, they would start throwing at people that aren't in their group and they'd be hit in the back. Don't see that someone's thrown anything and fall down manifesting. <laughs> that kind of stuff gets attention. You, you've got to really now think, oh my goodness, my goodness. First of all is where's this in the Bible? And it clearly isn't. There's right. no snowballs in right. there. Now you're, the best you can come up with is when the Bible says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, is there different ways to do that? Right. So that's, that's as good as you can get. My, my experience with that was the first time I ever came out was 2002. It was the Parties Here conference in July. It was the one where the, everybody had a big water fight. Not imaginary water fight, real water. Yep. And on my first night there, I mean, I'd saved up all my money to come. I was so desperate. I'd read all the stories. I'd watched, you know, all the clips online and with real media player. Do you remember that? And I couldn't wait to be there. And I was so disappointed when I got there because I could feel nothing. And to my huge frustration, Carol, who I didn't know at the time, Carol was going around throwing fireballs at people. Yeah. Now, she learned that from the Japanese. For the people who are listening to this, Carol's going around, and to the naked eye, it looks like she is imaginary. I mean, she's throwing with her arm imaginary balls of fire. And honestly, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. This is not what I came for. I'm full of judgment. This is just so ridiculous. Where's that in the Bible? How could this be God? And I'm, I, 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 yeah, I just want to leave because I'm so frustrated. Literally nothing's happening to me, and this crazy woman is running around throwing imaginary fire. Is this what we've come to? Well, the next, I come back the next day, and as you do at every service, they're doing testimonies. And some woman gets up, and her testimony is, I came here last night, the pastor's wife, they just point dismissively at Carol, was throwing these imaginary fireballs, and this lady's giving this testament. I just was rolling my eyes thinking, is this what we've come to? This is ridiculous. But then she got to the end of my row, and she threw a fireball, and it quote-unquote hit me, and when it hit me, my deaf ear popped oh, open. Oh, my goodness. And I could hear... <laughs> So at that point, you're like, why is throwing an imaginary fireball offensive, but spitting in the ground and making mud and putting on a blind man's eyes isn't offensive? Well, one offensive thing is in the Bible and the other isn't. But the fruit of both Mm -hmm. of those things remains the same. It's a fascinating topic. The whole thing of God offending the mind to reveal Mm -hmm. the heart. And sometimes God just offending the mind for no other reason than he's reducing, no, he's returning us to childlikeness. You have in John chapter 5, Jesus going into the pool in Jerusalem. And if you, in my opinion, when you read that passage, Jesus is going in based on revelation. He's had a dream. He's had a thought. He's had a picture. Right. Because when he goes in, he doesn't heal everyone. He's looking for someone. Right. And he, when he sees the guy, it says he learned that he'd been there for 38 years. So two options for being the learning part. One is that the Holy Spirit just spoke to him and said, that's your guy. He's been there 38 years. Or he just simply said to someone, an attendant, you know, tell me about that guy over there. Right. So that guy is healed on the Sabbath. That guy does not know that it's Jesus that's healing him. Because like when he's asked later, who healed you? He goes, I don't know. Didn't get his name. Right. So it's clearly in the scriptures that he didn't know that it was Jesus healing him. And it is massively offensive to the religious leaders 
that that guy got healed because it's a Sabbath and he's now carrying his mat. So they forget that a guy has been healed for 38 years, but he's carrying a mat. Right. So you have that. Then you also have the story of um, the lady who's bent over, bent over back for 18 years. Remember that one? Yep. It's also a Sabbath. And after Jesus ministers to this lady, casts a demon out of her, the ruler of the synagogue uh, stands up. I don't know if he stands, but he, he rebukes Jesus and this lady. There's other days to come to church to get healed. Don't come to Jesus. Don't you dare do a healing meeting on a Saturday. Lady, don't you ever. If, he, if someone asks you if you want to be healed on a Saturday, don't put your hand up. It's, it's just like, forget that a great miracle just took place. Right. It's, it's nothing meaner than religion. That's what it was. It's religious spirit taking joy away. I was once in New Zealand and ministering with Dave Richards, who we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. And, uh, you know, I was there and worship was happening and I got really, really drunk in the Holy Spirit, really drunk. And as worship happened, I just started moving all around the front row, just kind of praying for people. And then kind of worship died down and they gave me a microphone, which was foolish because I was incoherent. But I'm just following the Holy Spirit and just praying for people. And we had some cool healings. And what, what I didn't realize was the associate pastor left the church. And on the way home, the senior pastor told me, well, we have to do some cleanup with the associate pastor. I was like, why? Wow, you know, is everything okay? He said, well, he was, he left the church in horror of what you were doing. I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. What was I doing? And, and he was offended because he said, you started healing the sick before the preaching of the word. And scripture uh-huh. says that signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word of God. You know, when I heard that, I was like, are, are, wow, like I've forgotten that that could be a stumbling block. Yeah. Like the earnestness of, of it's the yeah. same sort of thing. You've Are you seriously that offended that people in under your pastoral care have been healed because it happened in the wrong order from what you, you thought right. it should? And half the meetings, half the healings of Jesus, if he's healing and teaching, half the time he did it first and then taught second, like the feeding of the 5,000, right. healed everyone, everyone. 43,000 is my number of people that were at that meeting based on 8.34 kids today in New York City that are Orthodox children per family. <laughs> I love you, Steve. And 8.35, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, Orthodox children in Jerusalem. So if there's 5,000 married men with their spouse and 8.34, you were at 43,000 people and everyone was healed, then he teaches. So that's, you've got half the stories that I can see that that's the, protocol and then sometimes he taught and then ministered that's literally show and tell yeah it's literally do and then teach about what's been done but the passage that you just referred to clearly says with signs following right (laughs) give me off the top of your head the three biggest keys that you personally learned that propelled you into seeing greater healing miracles and you don't have to teach about them yeah you you can just talk about them because you've got a book that you've written that So I think number one would be that Jesus never healed the sick as a divine person, as the divine son of God. He healed people as the son of man is what he kept calling himself. So if Jesus healed the sick using his divine powers, you and I cannot do that. Right. If he healed people as the son of man, and if it's true, in, like in John's gospel, where he seven times says, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see, what I hear. 
if he, according to Philippians 2, humbled himself and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, divested himself of his God miracles, then how did they happen? And they happened because he was anointed. When did he get his anointing? Well, Acts chapter 10 tells us he got his anointing at his baptism. Acts 10, 37, 38. He went around healing all because uh, God was with him. So that's number one big one for me was that Jesus healed as, as a human being, and therefore I can do it because if the anointing was on his life, where did that come from? That comes from the Holy Spirit. How many Holy Spirits have there been? One. I got them. No junior Holy Spirit. No junior Holy, no male Holy Spirit, senior Holy Spirit, no Chinese Holy Spirit, Mexican Holy Spirit, Canadian Holy Spirit. Just, just Holy Spirit. Just Holy Spirit, one of them. And so once you realize that, that empowered you big, to realize. Big change. Same Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm just a vessel. That's it. So then number two is how did Jesus do the, how did he actually do it? Because there's no teaching time of Jesus in the gospels of here's how you pray for the sick. Right. He just did it. And told others to do it. So those who were with him saw what he was doing more than we would see it. They're, the stories clearly are edited versions that we have in the Gospels. Uh, his talks would be more than three minutes that would take to read read a sermon, say, in, in a passage. Right. Uh, so it's shortened down. But as I began to realize that it's, it's simple, it's, uh, it's now the prayer of faith. James chapter 5, it's commands that Jesus gives, very short statements, a touch and a command, stand up, be healed, be free. So that began to teach me that it's, it really isn't about me. It's the longer that I pray, the more I think it's about me. The longer I pray, the less confident I am. And so let's just begin to be like Jesus and, and say something very short to the point prayer of faith, and believe. So now the faith aspect of being convinced that it is God's will for everybody everywhere all the time to be healed. Uh, Bill Prankard was the one who taught me this. If you don't believe that God wants everybody everywhere all the time healed, the person in front of you right now is the exception. That's what Satan's going to tell you. Gosh. So you have to believe that it is God's will for everybody. As demonstrated by Jesus, there wasn't one person who left Jesus' presence that asked for healing that left without his without being healed. Right. So if Jesus only did the Father's will and not his will, well, that is God's will. Right. So first one is, uh, of the three of you saying, the first one would be the revelation that Jesus healed in his humanity through the anointing. Number two is how faith works, that it's acting on revelation. It's ideas, thoughts that God gives me and then be bold enough to act. And I would say number three is, um, what's number three revelation? What about the, I mean, the big ones that you taught me were the ungodly beliefs related to healing. Basically the explanations we've come up for the reasons that we aren't healed. For example, you know what? It's thanks for praying for me, but actually God's teaching me something through this sickness or it's not God's timing. I mean, you did a, I mean, you've done a phenomenal job. I stole that from Roger Sapp. Well, I have stolen that from you who stole it from Roger Sapp. But uh, going through why, I think we had seven of them, didn't we? Seven reasons. There's probably much, many, many more. But I mean, one of the examples you gave are are the 10 lepers who come to Jesus saying, Master, we want to be cleansed. And Jesus doesn't say to them, 
you and you, absolutely. You, it's not your time yet. You, God's teaching you something about your, you know, your character. Um, Everyone's got to die of something. Right. You don't believe in me. You don't have enough faith, all that kind of stuff. Never once tried to talk anyone out of their healing, which people do. Christians do all the time. All of the time. Non-Christians. Muslims don't try to talk themselves out of being healed. They right. may not want you to minister to them in the name of Jesus, but they want to be healed. Right. Hindus want to be healed. Hindus have no no problems being healed in the name of Jesus. They already believe that he heals. Right. Most Muslims believe that Jesus heals. But Christians <laughs> somehow have got it in their head that God has rules and standards for them. But what do you say to people? This is a question we get asked a lot is I've been, I've, I've, I've gone out for prayer hundreds of times. I've prayed every which way and I still haven't been healed. Mm-hmm. Like why hasn't God healed me? I told him to get in line again. That's it. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's like, uh, I tell people that there's three problems and God's not one of them. Uh, ex- as exemplified by Jesus, he healed everyone who came to him and everyone that he went to. So what are the no three except. problems? Problem number one is the person doing the ministry. So Steve Long, when I'm praying for whoever it is, Steve's not believing, not praying the prayer of faith. I'm praying a wimpy prayer of doubt. Right. Jesus, if it's your will, would you come and heal this person from their cancer? Right. That prayer is not going to get answered. Right. Because it's a if. It's not, healing is not an if. Right. In my mind, it's a, this is God's will. So I have now prayed a prayer of doubt and doubt and unbelief stop the anointing from flowing. Right. So all sorts of believers pray prayers with no faith in them. So that's a big problem. That's problem number one. Problem number one. Problem number two is the person receiving the prayer. If that person has, as you already talked about or just raised about ungodly beliefs, that God's teaching me a lesson. God's working on my character. Uh, everyone's got to die of something, and so this is how I'm going to die. If right. you have those kind of thoughts, you're blocking the Holy Spirit from coming your way. Your your spirit has been told, don't let the Holy Spirit interact with you. Body, don't let don't receive the Holy Spirit. Now, no one said that, but that's what right. what you've been lied to by Satan, and now your body believes that your spirit yeah, believes. The devil that. is empowered by human agreement. Absolutely. And problem number three is then all the spiritual stuff in the middle. It's curses, generational things. It's uh, assaults of the enemy. It's spiritual warfare. It's all those different kind of things that we may not realize that are happening. So we got a person goes to bed angry, a Christian goes to bed angry, breaks the rule from uh, Ephesians chapter five. Don't go to bed angry because you give Satan a foothold. And the word foothold in Greek is the word topos, where we get topography. So I go to bed, go to bed angry, and I'm not forgiven, which is what I'm supposed to do. And now I personally, without knowing it, have a- a given Satan access to my body. Right. And now I'm trying to figure out why I'm sick, and I'm blaming other people, and I'm blaming people who aren't anointed, and you know whatever the thing is when the problem is me. So you got all these different kind of things. Uh, God bless Todd Bentley for all of the stuff around Todd. He has a great teaching, Alan, on 40 reasons why people don't get well, 40 reasons why Christians don't get well. Fascinating. He's He did some outstanding research on that one and just these kind of things. You have written an amazing book on healing called My Healing Belongs to Me. Thank you. 
and I have I've read the earlier drafts of that. It it was some of the most revelatory teaching I'd read, based straight out of the Gospels. With your experience of learning Hellenistic, where can people pick up a copy of that book? Uh, if you have Kindle, it's on uh, all those different kind of you know every platform that you get buy a book from, you can get it. Oh, great. Uh, Catch the Fire website, you can get it. I'll put a link in the show notes to that book. Perfect. And you've just written a brand new book. Uh, two years ago, I wrote a book called The Faith Zone. Right. And that was, I was reading the book of Matthew, looking at the healing stories, the miracles there, and was fascinated how many of those stories, somehow there's, there's a, a revelatory thought that came to people. The lady who's bleeding for 12 years, yep. if I touch his garment. Jairus, who's the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, his daughter's dying. If you come and put your hand on her, she'll live. So they had a God thought. They acted on their God thought, which is what the definition of faith is. It's not just knowing something, it's it's the doing of what you believe. And so I just looked at all those stories, looked at Hebrews uh, 11 with this angle that take the word faith out in every story and put in the words acting on revelation and Matthew came alive to me. So it's a study in the book of Matthew looking at great faith, no faith, little faith, according to your faith, all those passages. And people can get them in the same, same place. I can put yeah. a link to it in the show. And notes. then there was one in between that I wrote on the life of David on uh, the three years where he's running from Saul. And I call that book on the run. And it's a leadership book. The premise of that one is why wasn't David ready to step into his role that was prophesied over him before he was born. Wow. Because Samuel uh, spoke to Saul and said, God's looking for a better person than you. Wow. David wasn't even born. Wow. So why wasn't he ready? And the reason is his character hadn't caught up with his anointing, hadn't caught up with his, um, his call in his life. And so he had to have three years of intensive refinement. Refinement. And coming to a bookstore sometime next year will be another one that I uh, just finished writing two weeks ago. So it's not gone to the editor yet, but uh, it'll be starting to go through all that process. And the, the working title, which may not be the actual title, but the working title was Moses and Me, Finding My Identity. And it's looking at the 40 days, approximately 40 days from when the burning bush happens until they walk across the Red Sea. Wow. Uh, just... I can't, you can't, there's no actual chronological times in there, but we do know how many days the plagues lasted and those kind of things. So right. I'm going to guess around 40 days. And how does a guy like Moses go from saying no five times to God, standing beside a bush that's still burning, to becoming the reluctant leader that he was? It's amazing, Steve. So Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve Long, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and share with us on the podcast. You can find more about Steve Long by visiting our show notes. We'll put links to his Twitter and Instagram profiles. I highly encourage you to pick up Steve's books. He's one of the best teachers I know at making incredibly, seemingly complicated uh, issues. Very, very matter of fact. Uh, an excellent teacher who's had a huge profound in both age and his life. We love you, Steve. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you would like the show notes for this week's episode, go to alanandaj.com slash 128. We hope that all of our American friends have an amazing Thanksgiving this Thursday, and we will be back next week, hopefully with the prettier half of Alan and AJ at the other end of the table. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. 